And this first Sunday of the month of February, it's my desire that in the years to come, that this day will be our, our vision Sunday, where we will look at what the Lord uh, has us uh, moving toward, the vision that we, what we believe the Lord has us uh, pursuing. And this, this Sunday morning, my desire is to, to cast the vision of what God is doing here at Forest Baptist Church. As the Lord has been leading and guiding and we've been communicating with, with the leadership here, it is time to cast that vision, to make it plain, and to run and pursue that this morning. Praise God. I'm excited to see our, our banners up celebrating 150 years. Great is thy faithfulness. And we, we got the dots there because we, we expect there to be even more coming. So praise God for that. Amen. So if you will stand with me t- this morning as we look at one single verse. Because any vision that we have for the church must be rooted in the word of God. We can't just come up with this stuff and say, we're going to do this. But we want to look at the word of God and say, Lord, where is it that you want us to go? What is it that you want us to do? So we're going to look at one verse this morning. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter and the 18th verse. And the 18th verse. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag on this text before us this morning. A vision for Forest Baptist Church pursuing the ministry of reconciliation. Pursuing the ministry of reconciliation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you who are infinitely and absolutely wise, thank you for your kindness, thank you for your mercy, and for your grace, Heavenly Father. And as we come before your throne of grace this morning, we do so in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And Father, we come not only in the name of Jesus, but powered by your Holy Spirit, which guides us, which allows us to see and see your word and to hear from you. And Father, right now I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be ready to receive your word, and that we would pursue that which you have called us to, this ministry of reconciliation, dear God. Help us to understand just how important this task is you have given for the church and give us a passion and a desire to be ministers of reconciliation, oh God. Man, reconcile to you. Man, reconcile to one another. Father, whatever is in our hearts and our minds this morning, I ask that you would give us grace. That you would meet us where we are, but that you would take us where we need to be. Father, prepare our minds, prepare our souls, 
We ask that you would speak to us this morning. May we hear you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, recent political events have thrust the spotlight on a poem entitled The New Colossus. Written by Emma Lazarus, this poem mounted inside the lower level of the pedestal upon which the Statue of Liberty rests was made famous for its words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. These words inscribed were meant to give comfort and hope to all those who freely arrived upon American shores. It could simply say, give me your broken. We'll take them. See, I, though that poem is inscribed at the Statue of Liberty, I wonder if the same could be said about the church in America. When you are tired, is this a place of rest? When you're burdened, do you find relief in worship? When you're broken, are you restored here? Do you find yourselves ministered to by the body of Christ? See, though many churches have created all types of ministry need, ministries in order to meet the needs of the people, there is still one ministry that all houses of worship must have, and that is the ministry of reconciliation. This ministry is for every man, every woman, every boy and girl. This, this ministry of reconciliation is for young and for old, for rich and for poor, for married, singles, divorced. This ministry is for all. Because all Christians, hear me, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Because there was a time when Christians received reconcili reconciliation themselves. So because God has reconciled sinners to himself in Jesus Christ, Christians have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. As we shall see in the text before us this morning, everyone who makes a profession of faith has been signed up for the ministry of reconciliation. See, the word reconciliation itself, it has a few connotations. Reconciliation, it, it means the removing of a barrier, hindering two from coming together. Removal of enmity between two aggrieved parties. There's beef, and it's crushed. But it also means a transformation of relations, where friendly relations have replaced the former hostility. You ever been on the outs with a loved one, a friend, a so-called best friend? Yeah, you're having a discussion, and all of a sudden it blows up over something foolish, and now you find yourself estranged. You're, you're, you once were friends, but now you are separated because of an issue. Beloved, uh, though we have never really been tight with God, there is beef with him. And in order for us to overcome that, to be a friend of God, we need reconciliation. 
So for the purposes of this morning to, to dig into what we will be as a church. Our working definition for the ministry of reconciliation is the God-given calling to actively pursue relational wholeness for all through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ain't just trying to make friends to make friends. But we're rooting all our friendships and our relationships and what we deem right or wrong based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. This God-given calling to actively pursue relational wholeness for all through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're seeing where there is any kind of brokenness and seeking to correct it. See, in in other words, as, as Christians, when we see wrong in the world, we try to make it right. That's what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. When things are broken, we want to fix it. When things aren't what they're supposed to be, we don't run away from it. We run to it. As a fireman runs into the fire, Christians, we have to stop sitting back and wondering if somebody else going to fix it. We need to show up and do something about it and become ministers of reconciliation. When we see the marginalized, when we see division and disunity, when we see chaos and confusion, we must be the ones that run towards it with the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to make it repaired, to restore it. The body of Christ is here to help where there is harm, to aid the oppressed, to create harmony out of chaos. Beloved, this is who we will be as a church. This is the vision for Forest Baptist Church, that we will actively pursue the ministry of reconciliation, everyone, top down. But we must understand what we're going to get ourselves into. And to understand our responsibility to the world, the first thing is we need to know that the ministry of reconciliation is from God. It's from God himself. It came straight out the throne room of God. The text says in verse 18, all this is from God. It's not from man. It's not from your cousins. It's not from them down the street. This is from God. This is a God-initiated reconciliation. So, but what does this mean? Because this is a God-initiated reconciliation, we, he, he addresses something that we desperately need. God initiates reconciliation because he sees our brokenness. We're broken. In sin, reconciliation itself assumes that there's some type of uh, issue with the relationship. There's some type of estrangement. And throughout Scripture, we see things aren't as they should be. If we think back to Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and as God has created all things through the earth, it said, and it was good. No issues, no problems. Everything was good, but yet, Adam and Eve, in rebellion to God's divine order, choose to disobey him, allowing 
sin to enter into creation. This sin brings brokenness, it brings harm, it brings chaos, and it brings a, a displacement of a perfect relationship. Whereas Adam and Eve had a perfect vertical relationship with God, now they have been alienated because of their sin and are now enemies to God. We see this in how when as soon as they fall into sin, they begin to hide themselves and put fig leaves on. Hi, isn't that just us? When we're when we doing stuff we ain't supposed to do, going places where we ain't supposed to go, all of a sudden we get shamed and we don't want to show up where we know the people of God may be. We want to hide ourselves and hide our sin. So the relationship that once was tight is broken. God and man, enemies. That's not how it should be. But not only is there a vertical alienation, there's a horizontal alienation. In just the next chapter, Genesis 4, we see that Cain and Abel are are supposed to offer up a worship unto God, something befitting, something suitable for him. But we find that Cain falls into sin and murders his brother. What greater horizontal discord is there than murder. Understand the text. The text is trying to show us that the the horizontal relationship that should have been good, that should have been perfect, is now broken. We're alienated to God and now we're alienated to one another because of sin. This is a twofold alienation, vertical, horizontal. This is why Colossians 1.21 says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You don't have to really convince anyone to do wrong. We think up enough wrong ourselves. Because we've been alienated. Because we have been separated from the goodness of God. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul goes on in verse 11 of the second chapter, trying to help the Gentiles understand just just where they were as as far as their relationship with God. And he says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Gentiles, y'all are in bad shape because you are without God, and to be without God is to be without hope. Hopeless. Because of our brokenness, we are broken by sin. The the reason we we have addiction, the reason we have adultery and fornication, the reason we have beefs and anger, the reason why there's gossip is all because of sin. And wherever sin is, there's brokenness. There's no unity. Are all your friendships tight? Are you on speaking terms with everybody? There's sin somewhere. 
that has caused this issue to come up. So, so God initiates reconciliation because he sees our brokenness. But beloved, the blessing is God, he also initiated reconciliation to change us. We see this in the text actually in verses 16 to 17. Verse 16, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. We don't, we don't see things from a worldly perspective anymore. I'm not, I'm not seeing you with, with mere human eyes. I, I don't see Christ as just, uh, just a prophet, just as a good dude. I see him as the risen Savior. And he goes on, verse 17. Now, we, we, quote, we quote this verse all the time. We love this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is going on there? Paul uses creation language and what's taking place in our, in our lives. Paul uses language that Genesis uses to talk about the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, this this new thing out of nothing, where there was nothing but death and darkness. God has brought life, this creation. But yet that in creation, sin has entered and man has fallen. But yet, how he, he bookends these words. Because in Genesis, it talks about creating the heavens and the earth, but in Revelation, it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. This new creation is coming. We're not there yet, but, but God is doing something in our lives where he's bringing life from death. We, we, we may look at this text and see it as, well, I, I, I'm being transformed. I, I'm a new creation. That means I'm supposed to do things right from now on. But, but yet it's more than that. When he's talking about this eschatological, the, this newness that because Jesus has come, the old has gone. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. But the law once made you right before God. Now grace does. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I don't have to obey the law. I don't have to perform no longer. It's this grace that's going to produce in me a love and affection for his commandments that causes me to worship him. See, it's it's not just, therefore, if if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh, I I need to act better. (laughs) The thing is, he, he changes my nature. I don't want to just do better because people tell me I should do better because I'm a Christian. I I do better because he's changed me from the inside out. I'm I'm after the new order called grace. This grace causes me to love Jesus. This grace causes me to have affections for, for Christ where I didn't have before. This grace, it begins to stamp down 
all my, my, my rudeness and my anger and my impatience, and this grace creates in me a, a love and a joy. That's why I'm new. What he's doing by initiating reconciliation, God is recreating us in the image of Jesus Christ. He's recreating us. We're being recreated in order to be restored. Recreation for restoration. Beloved, understand, reconciliation is is, is more than forgiveness. Reconciliation means a, a complete transformation of how I now relate to God. Completely. I once was an enemy of God. Now I'm a son. I once lived outside the house. Now I got a bed on the inside. I once was uh, seen as someone on the edges of God's grace. Now I'm firmly rooted in the middle of God's grace because of the blood of Jesus. I've been transformed. My, My relationship to God has changed. See, sinners think they need self-improvement. Sinners need to be created new. We need recreation. I remember being younger and coming home one day from school on Thanksgiving vacation and driving down the street, someone blew a light, crashed into me. If I was going maybe one or two miles faster, instead of hitting my driver's side front tire, they would have hit me. After that, blacked out for a moment, woke up, got out of the car and looked at it completely total, completely wrecked. Tow truck came and just took it away. Insurance company called and said, we just going to total that out. See, we we have a way of thinking that our sin can be repaired. That would be as foolish as me going to the junkyard, trying to hop back in my total car and trying to start it and drive. I can't go anywhere in that car. It's wrecked. The, it, the, the light won't cut on. It won't turn over. The wheels won't spin. It's wrecked. You trying to improve yourself? You can't. You're wrecked. Sin has wrecked you. You, you are completely total. You need, you need the blood of Jesus to do an insurance job on you and not fix up what you had before but give you something new. We need new life in Christ. Not this old life. See, in other words, reconciliation recreates my reality. Because now my posture and position before God is completely different. Whereas I... I was lost. Now I'm found. It's because of this amazing grace. That's why it's so sweet. Because I know I'm wrecked. It's grace saved a wretch like me. I have a new relationship because of grace. I, I once was lost. But now, I'm fine. It says, I, I, I was blind. But now, I see because of this amazing grace, 
my position, my posture before God is completely different. I was not looking for God, but he was looking for me. I could not see God, but he saw me. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. See, this, this ministry of reconciliation, this is a call to service. We, 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 as a church, we are called to look out over the world and see who is in desperate need. We are to initiate. Well, they ain't saying nothing to me, so I ain't saying nothing to them. God calls. What if God didn't say anything to you because you didn't say anything to him? Would you even be here today? But because he has served us so, we serve others. We initiate conversation. Pick up that phone. Y'all, you know y'all ain't talked. You know y'all beefed out. But they did this to me. Initiate reconciliation because God initiated reconciliation for you. That's what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. I'm not worried about my pride. I'm not worried about my position. I just want things to be made right because God made things right with me. He's sitting in the throne room of God. Look at his posture, his position. He's the alpha and the mega. He's the beginning and the end. If there's anybody who had a right to stay seated on the throne, it's him. But yet he stepped down into into humanity and rescued us. But we too caught up in what they said about us four years ago. God is our motivation for reconciliation. But secondly, to understand our responsibility to the world, know that the ministry of reconciliation is through Jesus. He says next, all this is from God, this new relationship initiated by him. But he says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What is he talking about? This is some of the most beautiful language found in Scripture. Not only is God the beginning of of reconciliation, he's the goal of reconciliation. He's the end of reconciliation. look, Look, he says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. What he's saying is, when God is reconciling people, he's just not trying to make them good people or do something for them. He's trying to get them, get them ready to experience their full restoration in him, where they will actually be able to carry out their God-ordained conclusion from eternity past to completely fulfill your responsibilities to the relationship. He just says, I'm just going to put them in me. They can't do it, so I'm just going to hide them in me. Because I'm the be-all, end-all. I'm just going to give them me. I'm not going to give them treasure worth a million dollars. I'm going to give them me. He's the end. He's the goal. See, verse 19 is the explanation of verse... Verse 19 is the explanation of verse 18. Because he says... That is, he explained in verse 18, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. How can God reconcile sinners? It says right here, he says, because he doesn't count their trespasses against them. See, that word count is so important in there because we may have a a feeling or understanding that sin just kind of disappears, just kind of floats away. But he's not saying that he just takes away the sin and it just hangs out. He says, I don't count their sins against them because I took that sin and put it somewhere else and crushed it there. Sin doesn't disappear. Sin must be punished. How? In Christ. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. What is God doing? The text says that he he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So, Paul, are you telling me that? That even though all the scriptures say that Jesus was without sin, that he's a sinner? Well, no. What's taking place is that God is actually treating Jesus as if he were sin itself. And upon the cross, he, he takes sin and sets it on the cross, and then he begins to pour out his wrath, crushing this sin, getting rid of this sin, that it would deteriorate and be no more. He is crushing his son for our behalf. To understand this, we, we got to think about the Old Testament. In Leviticus 16, the priest on the Day of Atonement would have two goats. And one goat he would bring in to the tabernacle to sacrifice there. But there was another goat. And he would place his hand upon the goat's head as an indication, a transfer of sin from the people. Now, the goat doesn't become sin, but the sin is all over the goat. And then the goat is sent into the wilderness to be seen no more. Beloved, Jesus is our scapegoat. God takes our sin. He takes all humanity's sin, all sin that has ever been done, past present and future, he places it upon Christ and crushes it on the cross to be seen no more. It's because of Jesus' substitutionary atonement that we have a relationship with God. Jesus stood in our place. We deserve to be on the cross. We deserve to be crushed. But Jesus stood in our place dying the death that we deserve. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You want to know what hell looks like? You want to know what hell's going to be like? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. The cross is the, the, the single point in history where God is pouring out his anger and wrath towards sin. That's hell. That's what it's going to be like for those who have not repented from their sin and trusted in Jesus. They will spend an eternity being crushed by the wrath of God, trying to pay for their own sin. The ministry of reconciliation 
It's a call to sacrifice. If Jesus laid down his life, how much so should we lay down our life? The ministry of reconciliation is, is dirty. It's messy. Why? Because you're dealing with messy people. We got all these issues and we, we, we complex. It's, we got things going on this weekend. Um, my mind is, is all upset because I haven't had enough sleep or I ate the wrong thing. But, uh, but on the front lines of ministry, it gets messy. But that's why we lay down our lives. It's not about my preference. It's about what needs to be done. This is Jesus in the garden. Lord, if, if, if you will, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but that will be done. God, if, there, if there's any other way to get the job done, I'll do it. But it was not. Sometimes when we're looking at people, we have to say, there's not another way. They don't listen to anybody else. I don't know why they listen to me. I, I get tired of listening to them. But yet God has placed me in their life. So I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice. Jesus is our means of reconciliation. But the third thing we see in the text is to understand our responsibility to the world. Know that the ministry of reconciliation is for us. It's for us. Verse 18. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is God saying, everything I've done for you, you go and do for others. God has saved to sin. If the only thing we needed was salvation, then God would save us and take us to glory with him right at that moment. But he has a work for us to do. He saves us to send us. Verse 20, Paul says, Well, we are, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is a cry from an ambassador. An ambassador is an official representative. This is a spokesman. This is a uh, a person who does not have a personal message of their own. They don't have any alternative facts. They only speak what has been given to them. They speak on behalf and in place of. We do not act on our own authority. We act upon the authority that Christ has given us to go. But we don't just go because many times we think about an ambassador as a spokesman on behalf of another country. But, beloved, in this context, he's talking about a spokesman sent by one country to negotiate peace. Ha! We're being sent to negotiate peace treaties between God and man. We have this message of reconciliation that all they have to do is sign a name on a dotted line and they will have God the Father forever. We negotiate that peace. How what privilege that is to carry around in our pockets something that is more glorious and beautiful than any bank could ever hold. We hold within our hearts that message that can transform the deaf, the dumb, and the blind into those who can speak for Christ. 
What a privilege to negotiate peace between two warring factions. That's for us to do. And we're begging all that we come in contact with, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. Don't continue to live the life that you want to live for your own purposes. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. This reconciliation, this is twofold again. Be reconciled to God. How? We share the gospel. The good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ for sinners such as ourselves. We share the good news. It's too precious not to share. Doesn't Romans 10, 14 says, and how would they call on him in whom they have not believed? How would they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? You think they're going to get saved off that gospel song that's talking about blessing them? We have to share the gospel because people hearing the gospel is how people are saved. But we, not, we don't only share the gospel to reconcile a vertical relationship, but we share the gospel to reconcile horizontal relationships. This is where we apply the gospel to situations and circumstances in a broken world. We live in this broken world where reconciliation is the only hope. And reconciliation takes place through the lens of the gospel. So as I'm looking out over my family and I see the brokenness, I don't get all mad and upset. I just, man, they need Jesus. And I'll begin to navigate and negotiate. So that they wouldn't see me, but that they would see Jesus. I become the actual hands and feet of Jesus. I'm, I'm looking out and I, and I see relationships that have been estranged. And, and I look at it with the view of the gospel that says that any type of brokenness, there is sin. So how do I insert myself in the situation where reconciliation takes place? When I think about education... I spoke of this before. If I am in a, an educational environment where it is only the majority culture that is being taught, I, something's wrong with that because it says that someone is superior and someone's inferior. I, that needs to be reconciled. I have to speak to that. I have to step in into society where there is a, a giving of an advantage of one over another. There's people on the margins of society who no one cares about. I have to see that as a Christian and step in and apply the gospel to that situation. The ministry of reconciliation is a call to salvation. As Christians, we have this mission of reconciliation. So when we think back to the new Colossus, and it says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. This ministry 
of reconciliation. As a church, we must ourselves be ready for this. Are, are, are we ready for that type of ministry? See, this, this, this is where the rubber meets the road. Do we just want to show up every Sunday and say, man, I feel better now that I went to church? Do we just want to make the gospel all about me and what God can do for me and how he can make me feel better about myself and how, how all I show got my praise on and I, and I come in and consume the grace that everyone is bestowing to me, we can continue to just do church or we can become ministers of reconciliation where I'm trying to figure out how to serve them. No one's talking to them. What can I say? They need a ride down the street. Where can we go? We said we could keep just doing church as a religious organization that is good to be a part of because of the benefits, or we can be sold out soldiers for Jesus Christ. That's our choice. Y'all know which way I'm going. Why? Because he said it. He's given to us this ministry of reconciliation. He didn't give it to me to put it in my pocket, but to use it in those tough areas of life. But we need an infrastructure to undergird this vision. We need systems and people and things to take place to undergird this vision that God has given us. So because we will be a church actively pursuing the ministry of reconciliation, this means that the things need to happen. That our greatest desire is for Forest Baptist Church to be a beacon of Christian education and discipleship to all the world. We don't want to just be a beacon here in Newburgh. We want to be a beacon to the world, demonstrating and showing people how to love people, how to be ministers of reconciliation. Because the church exists for the purpose of reconciliation. We're here to make, mark, multiply, and mature Disciples for Christ. That's why we're here. Yeah, along the way, we have some chicken dinners and and some picnics, but the reason why we're here is to make disciples for Christ. So our, our, our focus is to go deeper and wider in Jesus. Why deeper and wider? We go deeper that we would know him better, that we would love him more that we will understand the mysteries of the gospel and see how the nuances affect our lives and we, we see why Jesus did this and why he said that and we understand him more by going deeper. But beloved, it's when we go deeper, we go wider. Because now I, I really understand what it means to be saved and I understand the implications of the gospel. So now I'm going to tell everybody because if I really understand what hell is, I'm going to share it. And go wider. So for his Baptist church, we will be an evangelistic church. We will have personal evangel- evangelism training ongoing that we may know just how to share our faith. We will know what, it be, what, it, what it's like to be tested, but 
but able to give an answer, a reason for the hope that is in us. We will take part in strategic mission partnerships, both internationally and locally. Internationally, we we have already partnered with a missionary from Nepal whose goal is to take the gospel back to make schools that teach the gospel and to multiply those schools. We plan on partnering with missionaries in Zimbabwe to do pastor training. We plan on partnering with Baptist Haiti Mission to go to Haiti and strengthen the churches and proclaim the gospel. But not just internationally, locally. We will make and forge strong partnerships in the city of Newburgh in order to meet those on the block. Nuke, nuke, and baby, no may move. So we still got to hit them, don't we? We plan on hitting the entire city of Louisville, particularly the West End. How does the gospel apply there? Just because we don't live on that side of town, don't say that doesn't affect us. The goal for Forest Baptist Church is to, to be a host to missions conferences, ongoing. But our ultimate goal to be an evangelizing church is within the next three to five years, we will plant a church from Forest. We will plant a church. I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know who's going to pay for it. But Jesus said that we're going to plant a church. We're going to be an equipping church. We're, going, we're rebranding Sunday school and offering a variety of classes on Sunday morning. General classes with the, with the addition. We'll have our classes, but the addition of topical, doctrinal, and new believers' classes. Topical classes, such as like six to week courses, like financial stewardship, how to make a budget, marriage, single life. We'll have doctrinal courses, Christology, pneumatology, soteriology, book studies. But one of the keys is Strengthening our new believers' courses so it's not just a class but ongoing teaching, six to eight weeks. So when someone new comes to Christ, they ain't got to wait to see it to get into class. They just keep going and understanding what is this baptism? What is this church membership? Who is the Holy Spirit? An ongoing course. But guess what? See, this is where the rubber meets the wall, right? Because if we're preaching the gospel and new members are coming, guess what? New members got to sit somewhere. And it might be your seat. Right? Right? They may be in your area. What? Why? They don't know. They ain't been at Forest 150 years. They just coming in because Jesus saved them and they want to worship. I'm meddling. I'm meddling. I know. But, but you will, praise God by his grace, you will show up one day and somebody will be in your seat, so you might as well just get ready for it now. Say, Lord, help me, so that when the time comes, I'll be ready, because it's coming. It's coming. 
And because if we're ministers of reconciliation and all these folks broken, where do you think they're going to come? Here. Here. We're in the process of developing a leadership development whole portion of our ministry, creating a ministry leaders track where we're, out of this track we'll raise up our deacons. We'll raise up new trustees, new people in finance. But then also with that, developing a step program, a supplemental theological education program where men and women of God are trained to be sympathetic and empathetic to the unique issues hitting the urban church. Men and women who aren't coming from the outside to teach the people, who are coming from the inside to, teach, to reach the people. We are in the process of developing our pastoral internship program, right? Because if we're going to plant churches, we need pastors to put there, don't we? We need a pipeline of pastors. For us, we will never get to the point where we're hoarding talent. I don't want to see 12 ministers and pastors and deacons on the front row. We're going to send them out to do the work of God. And equipping church education, internally giving our teachers the best training and development possible and not leaving teachers to try to figure out on their own. I'm sorry. I apologize to every teacher here who's just been doing it on their own for all these years. Keep praying, we're coming. We're going to support you. Community group leaders, same thing. We're going to support you. By God's grace, the Men's Institute will be back this April. To continue to train men for the work of ministry. See, but I'm so crazy, I don't think we have to just stop internally. Why can't we take this outside? For children who are in need of specific teaching, specific education, we can set up programs for that. And evangelize the church and equipping church, but lastly, an edifying church. We know that there's so much trauma in African-American communities. It's in communities everywhere, but there's so much trauma. We have been walking around with, with PTSD since 1619, and no one has ever been able to care for our souls well. We will be a ministry that offers layers of care for us, for the neighborhood. Our community groups will be the first layer, layer of care. If Community groups aren't just Bible studies you go to. There are places where you plug in and you, you lock arms with the people of God, and when you fall in, somebody holds you up. That's the first level. But secondly, out of those groups will come discipleship groups, one-on-one talking, men with men, women with women, encouraging one another in the scriptures. But then also our, our very own soul care ministry where we, we will have 
biblically trained and certified individuals who can speak to you about the various issues of your life and show you how the gospel meets every need. 2 Peter 1 to 3, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But then also pastoral care. Those issues that, that are really coming up that will have a significant effect on the body. We will care for those. Forest Baptist Church. We will be a church to evangelize, to equip, and to edify. But how are we going to do that? This is crazy. Right? Because Acts 6 and 4 tells me what my job is. I didn't get this from nobody. This is what the Word of God says. Talking about the apostles and those who are preaching the word says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If if my primary job is to pray and to preach the word, that's a whole lot of stuff I just talked about. How, How will we ever get it done? Well, particularly our ministry leaders will be critical to that vision. Critical. And in order to support our ministry leaders, we have developed a ministry servant position. And the the whole job of this person is to come alongside ministry leaders and say, what do you need to be successful? How can I cheer you on? You need people? I'm going to help you find people. You need training? I'm going to make sure you get training. Praise God, Sister Charlene Williams has stepped into that position now and has already been meeting with ministry leaders for the last two months to find out their needs, to be a liaison between leadership so, so all of our ministry leaders can be part of this vision. But also there's the area of leadership development. If we are going to do all these discipleship initiatives, we need people to help in that area. We need oversight in that area. But praise God, we, we have men amongst ourselves who are capable and able to do this job. We have created a pastor of discipleship position. His job will be to oversee the discipleship of men, women, boys, and girls in this church to make sure that people are growing. Praise God for Jimmy Butts, who has already stepped into that position and will be leading the Men's Institute. For education and the the rebranding of our Sunday morning Bible study time, we we need oversight of someone who is looking at all of our curriculum, making sure it, it, it is meeting our need. Those layers of classes, doctrinal, topical. The plan is to put put together a two year plan where people can say, well, in December. Marriage and family is coming. I'm going to sign up for that. This person will oversee all of our teacher training, making sure they have what they need to be successful. Community group leaders training. We have created a pastor of Christian education position. And I'm grateful that Pastor Kevin Jones has stepped into that position to serve Forest Baptist Church in that way.
So these two men stepped into pastoral leadership over the next month for his Baptist church. I ask you just to observe their lives. Make sure they are blameless and above reproach. Make sure they are men of integrity and character who is, who, who is genuinely up to the task that God has called them to. In the month of April, we will have our pastoral installation to officially greet these two men into pastoral leadership. See, beloved, reconciliation requires a response. We can't just say we're ministers of reconciliation and don't do nothing. We're going to do something. And just as God initiated reconciliation, This will all be done by grace. By grace. Not because we deserve it. Not because we want to make a name for ourselves. But because Jesus has set his affections upon us here at Forest Baptist Church. He has done so for the last 150 years. And, but we will keep going. He has called us to this. And wherever God calls, he equips. He will strengthen us. He will lead us, and he will guide us. My prayer is that we will all be part of the glorious vision that God has given the Forest Baptist Church. But it starts with reconciliation. Have you been reconciled with God? Have you had a time in your life where you've confessed your sin, you have admitted your sin to God. And you said, I've been living for my own glory. I've been doing my own thing. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for living for my own accomplishment and pleasure. Please forgive me. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. Please save me. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit that I will love you and become a minister of reconciliation for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name. That's your prayer. That's your prayer. Father God, thank you for being the God of vision, for accomplishing what you desire to accomplish through your word. Father, I ask that your word will reside here within our hearts, that you will continually guide us and direct us. May we never get ahead of you, and may we never get behind you, but may we walk right with you. And may we do it all for your glory and for your name's sake. Father, I ask that you will have mercy on the one today that is dealing with sin. Would you Pour forth your Holy Spirit to bring regeneration in their hearts that they would humble themselves before your throne and acknowledge their need of a Savior. Father, I ask that you give each one of us wisdom into what you want to do with us and for us and through us. Father, we just thank you for the privilege. Thank you for your love. We thank you for Christ. 
Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.